Hi everyone, I'm JJ Reddick and you're listening to The Old Men in the Three. Today's show I'm excited to share is part of the Dell Technologies Small Business Podference. Small businesses are constantly looking for ways to advance their marketing strategies and grow their companies. That's why Dell Technologies assembled an all-star lineup of podcasters to create this year's virtual conference to share advice and inspiration for small businesses. I hope that you find this episode both inspiring and useful as we work together to support small businesses. Dell Technologies is here to help safeguard your business with modern devices and Windows 10 Pro and provide relevant content for your business's success. To find more participating podcasts, search for Dell Technologies Small Business Podference on the Odyssey app, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at the end of this episode. Hey, y'all, this is part two of our conversation with Ben Winston on The Old Man of the Three with J.J. Reddick and Tommy Alter. Uh, this is part of the Dell Technologies Small Business Podference, and this conversation with Ben Winston will surely inspire and provide incredible insight on transforming for a new tomorrow post-COVID. This is part two of our conversation with Ben Winston. How much do you think about, uh, obviously, you're, you're concerned with what people are consuming, what content creation matters, but how much do you think about how they're consuming it? Especially, you know, we're, we're talking here about sort of a post-COVID world. And so you're making content. How much are you thinking about how people are consuming that content? I guess it depends what I'm making. If, if, if you're making the Late Late Show, we think about it a lot. We think about it a lot. And therefore, you know, we can't sit still. We've got to, if, you know, we've got to make sure that we've got the biggest TikTok channel there is, as ridiculous as it sounds for me to say that as a 39-year-old. But it's true. And in the same way that, you know, our YouTube channel is absurd. You know, I think it's like 9 billion views. Uh, 26.4 million subscribers as of about 30 minutes ago. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. That's great. Um, when it comes to the Grammys or when it comes to Friends, I don't think it's about where you're viewing it. I think it's about making it big enough and important enough that people just view it there and then. Because uh, otherwise they struggle to, you know, uh, you know, I hope that when Friends launches, word of mouth will be great. People will think it's great. Loads of people will get HBO Max because of it. And then it will be seen as a success. So that has got to be a bit of that one. When you're making Friends, you've got to be like, this is behind the paywall. Over here, something really cool is coming, come in here, just pay us the eight bucks to get in. But, you know, that's sort of teasing them and making them come to it and thinking you're going to miss out. It's FOMO. I don't want you to miss out. You've got to see the Friends reunion. I'm going to buy HBO Max. With the Grammys, it's far more about in the, it's, it's not really my job. It's in the marketing of it. It's in the like, you have to be here on this day or you're going to miss out. Because it's event television and there's very little event television left. And so for the Grammys, you're reliant on, word of mouth you're reliant on posters you're reliant on commercials you're reliant on taylor swift tweeting you know you're you're reliant on basically everybody tuning in at 8 p.m on that sunday night um so it depends what the show is that i'm doing if i'm honest but i don't genuinely i when i first started i used to get bogged down by ratings and i used to really care about that stuff and and maybe it's because a couple of things haven't gone right for us on shows that i really cared about that didn't rate um but I care much less about that now. And I just feel like it, it, it can make you unwell. I do a show every night. So if I'm waking up in the morning and checking how we did and whether it's, you know, one point of a decimal point of, I'm just like, just make the best shows we can. And 
we'll go from there. I want to, Ben. I want to compare your job to JJ's for a second. I was thinking oh, about this please. earlier. As, about a, this earlier. as a podcast host yeah. or a basketball no, no, no. player? No, no, as a player. <laughs> I was thinking. I was thinking about this earlier today because I rewatched the McCartney Carpool Karaoke. Yeah, which to to me, to in my opinion, is not only one of the best things you guys have ever done. It's like one of the best things on television ever on any show, and it it is. It's just it's emotional. It, everything about it is like perfect. It's like twenty five minutes of like perfect content. But what I what I was sort of thinking about, and JJ and I have talked about this a little bit, is like one of the weird things about you know being an NBA player is like if you score thirty five points on a Monday, like you're playing on Wednesday, and if you go zero for seven, you're getting booed. You know, it doesn't. There's no sense of there's no sense of like oh people remember that thing three weeks ago that you did if the thing doesn't hold up. So, do you ever feel this thing when you guys are doing you know you're doing the show five nights a week? Where like you guys do a thing like that and it's amazing and it's objectively amazing, does really well, gets great reviews or whatever, and then you still got to do something Wednesday and like rather than making a movie or something like that where it's like I made this, mo- I made one movie a year and it won all these awards and it was fantastic. There's just a grind of doing this day after day that can become like exhausting. No, I don't think that affects us that way because because actually if you do something great like McCartney, actually you can ride that for a few weeks. Because the truth of it is we've got two sets of fans. Like we have, we have people who watch our show every night. It's a small number, but they watch our show every night, whether it be on YouTube or Paramount Plus or CBS or whatever it is, we have that group of people. And they're there and they're always going to be there. And then we have the millions. Then we have the millions that are there when we do something massive, whether it be McCartney, whether it be that Prince Harry thing we did recently, whether it be a, a Trump song. And they come to us for the big moments, but they're not sitting around going, why hasn't Corden done anything that I've noticed today? So, so we, are, we have an advantage in a way that there's loads of people who like, when we first started, we'd be like, it'd be like we've, done, we, we've been on now for six years, six and a half years, maybe six years. I can't remember. Either way, six years. Um, when we started, after three years, people, guests would come to the show and they'd come into the studio and it's a beautiful studio. And they'd be like, oh, I, sorry, I thought the whole show was, I thought the show was based in a car. And it was like a dagger to our hearts. It was like, are you kidding me? We do this, every, we're on show 504 in this studio, you But that happens much rarely, much more rarely now. But like, I got it. Like we were famous for that for a while. He was the car guy. And then actually people were like, oh no, he's brilliant. And, and there's done loads of other things. But no, I don't think it's like, I think that's true with Jay, with what you do. You're, 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 you know, and a great game on a Monday is forgotten on a Thursday. Not for us. We feel like the way we tactically do it is we go, right, every night we've got to make an amazing show. But that is for our regulars. That is for our in-jokes people. That's for the people who are always coming to consume it. But every couple of weeks, we're going to go above and beyond and we're going to have hot hands and we're going to uh, do something great. And, and that's what we really try and do. And COVID's made that a lot more difficult. COVID has, COVID has made our day-to-day show better. I would say the show that's on tonight is better than the show that had 170 people watching in the audience because James has spent... Tw- if anyone hasn't seen it, tune in one night and just watch James chatting to the crew for 20 minutes like nobody's watching. He is so loose. It's so funny. You know, tonight he was rubbing... You know, the guy who operates... Mark, who operates the camera cranes, he was asking about his seven wives and his relationships. It's like he's acting like no one's watching and luck- luckily they are. That is a very different thing to a big sketch we might do with 
Tom Brady. Do you know what I mean? And, and they're two different audiences, and we're fine with that. Let's let's go back a year and talk about the logistics uh, of of filming this show um, a little bit and producing this show last spring. I think you guys went back into the studio actually around the time we were in the NBA bubble, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, we we when when COVID hit, uh, I think you know wherever it is, March the 11th or whatever it was, we all went home. Obviously, we everybody else, all a lot of the other late night shows went on straight away. They went on. I remember Stephen Colbert. Literally, everyone shut down on the Friday. He was on on the Monday. He's shooting it on his phone. Jimmy Fallon came back really fast. Everyone came back. And we took the decision not to. We took the decision with CBS's support, which I'm very, very grateful for, actually. We took the decision just to wait, just to wait a beat. It's, it's okay if the world doesn't know what James Corden's thinking just for a moment. It, it's, they'll all cope. We don't have, like, we're not like, we've got to be on it. We were like, okay, it's going to be all right. Let everybody else go on. And let's just see, let's just see the lay of the land for a minute. And in the end, we decided to, instead of coming back on air, we decided to spend two weeks working on a one-off special, which we called Home Fest, bringing people together to keep them apart, which was a really effective primetime 90-minute show that we did for CBS. James hosted it from his garage. We put proper cameras in there in a unit. We had four cameras, professional cameras. We had an auto cue. We, had a, we all went in one by one. Like somebody would go in with the cameras, they'd lay it down, they'd leave. Then the sound team would come in, they'd lay it down, they'd leave. You know, And we, we did it professionally and properly because... There was something about our show we wanted to, and by the way, when I say this, this is nothing against any of the other shows because I all thought they did an incredible job. So I'm just talking about the decision we took. But we saw Jimmy, the Jimmys were doing stuff at home. Stephen was doing stuff in his office. And we were like, you know what? We're going we're gonna to try and do something a little bit different. James was the only one who wore a suit and tie every night. And we had four cameras that we were cutting cameras. It was like, how are you cutting cameras? Because we built within that two weeks, we built a studio in his garage. Um, and so we took our time a little bit more, which meant technically we were a bit we were a bit more advanced on that. But we were also desperate to get back to the studio. So we decided end of about middle of July, we went back to the studio, which I think we were the, one of the first back, really. And we just while everyone was out, we changed the shape because my theory is and it's the same theory I had for the Grammys. If people are going into empty studios or they're going and playing sport in empty arenas, you immediately go. It's not like it used to be. I miss those fans. Or I miss that audience or I miss the laughter. So in any of the shows that you'll have seen full well make this year, there's no space for an audience. We've built out, we've built walls. That means there is no space. If you look at the Grammys, it was in the round. There was no one went, where's the audience? Everyone went, oh, this is fun. Whereas if we'd done it in Staples, you would have just seen masses of empty chairs, 13,000 empty seats. Everyone would have been like, this isn't as good as it used to be. So in everything that we're doing, I was like, Build it for now. What is the positive of this? So James, we got rid of the audience. We Actually, where he sits now is where the audience used to be. So the whole thing feels small and intimate. Same with the Grammys. Make it feel in the round. Make it feel a community. Make people feel part of something. Make the camera the most important thing in the room rather than the audience. Don't make it that we're filming an event and there's the audience and we're just filming it. No, no, no. This is the only thing that matters, the camera, and make that what's important. So that bled through into all of our work. And so when COVID hit, we, we thought carefully about what we wanted to do. <clears throat> uh, mainly me, my job was making sure that hundreds of people who work for us were paid. Uh, I'm talking about the US side and negotiating with CBS who were brilliant, how long we could support people who simply weren't working, cameramen and 
sound men and whatever else. And James was very generous in paying for a lot of that stuff for, for a very long time when CBS, you just couldn't expect them to pay any longer. But then it was about, well, let's get back to the studio because then actually we can get people back to work and we can make a really great show and the crew can become the show. And so, yeah, it was about getting people back to work and but not just going, let's try and do what we've always done. That was the key. It wasn't about going, look, it's not as good as it used to be, but let's just do it. It was about going, no, well, hold on. How, how can we make this a bit better? Like, what can we do? We've been given a real opportunity to change things up. That's exciting. And that's, I guess, our approach for all the shows we've been making over, over COVID, as hard as it's been, because some of them haven't been great. And I know that. But that's always been the mentality. It's like, let's not just get by, let's get better. This episode is just one of many podcasts included in the Small Business Podference presented by Dell Technologies. This podcast conference has been created to encourage and inspire small businesses while covering topics like new business strategies, influencer marketing, and beyond. Learn from top names in the podcast world like Jill Schlesinger from Jill on Money, Rhett and Link of Ear Biscuits, and many more. To find more participating podcasts, search for Dell Technologies Small Business Podference on the Odyssey app, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at the end of this episode. So sort of the lens that you were looking through as you were making The Late Late Show, it sounds like that influenced your direction that you wanted to make the Grammys. Did you have any idea that the Grammys would be as well-received as they were? I mean, there, dude, I, I, mean, I know you saw all the articles, but I was literally, I was posting screenshots that day on my Instagram. <laughs> I was texting you. I mean, it was down the line, whether it was Rolling Stone or Hollywood Reporter, Vandit, whatever. The best Grammys we've ever watched. That was pretty much unanimous. The best Grammys we've seen. Make it like this every year. Uh, what's the question? Did I expect <laughs> Did, great reviews? Yeah. Well, because you and I talked. No, but you and I talked. <laughs> I did not expect a ton that. leading up to it, and we talk about, you know, how difficult the past year has been because of COVID. It's impacted everybody's life. It's added a layer of stress to everybody's job, to everybody's daily existence. You're doing the Grammys for the first time on your own. There's that added stress. Yeah, and we talked so before, think- and and it was. It, you 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 recognized the magnitude of what you were taking on. Yeah, I definitely did. I was. I don't get nervous usually. I told you the story about getting a bit nervous before I met Les Moonves, but that's a rare occasion. I'm I'm very much like we're not putting out fires. We're not saving lives. We're making average television. That's always like my chill out, everybody. It's okay. That doesn't mean I don't take it unbelievably seriously. It doesn't mean I'm not involved in every detail. It doesn't mean I don't push everybody. But we've also got to have, I'm quite good at going, this is my job and I love it. But, but, but you know, it, we've got to keep perspective. The Grammys freaked me out. The Grammys freaked me out. Um, the night that the Grammys finished, the year before, it was the day that Kobe had died. And I had been there for that. And I was quite involved in the Grammys. I don't think Ken Ehrlich, the executive producer that year, would mind me saying this because he said it himself. He had a massive show to run. Massive show. Like that show, I cannot, I would argue, and I know I would say this because I run it, I think it's the hardest show on television to produce. And I know that's, I hope that doesn't come across egotistical because I've just done it. But the reason why is very few things have that many viewers. Even though ratings are down, people go, oh, ratings are down 50, 40%. Still the highest rated show on television bar sport. So like, chill out. 
So firstly, it's ridiculous numbers. Second of all, it's three and a half hours of live TV. Thirdly, unlike the Oscars and the Emmys, which ultimately show clips or maybe some years don't show clips like this year, but like they give out awards and they show a clip and that's, and I'm not saying they're not complicated. They are. You have to do all of that on the Grammys, but yet also have 23 music performances. And those 23 music performances, unlike maybe the AMAs or the ACMs or the other, it's all the best artists in the world because it's the Grammys. And everybody thinks they've got the prettiest wife at home. Everybody thinks that they are the biggest star in the world. You can't be like, oh no, these two are the he like top of the bill. All of them think they're top of the bill. And you've got the added pressure that it's the Grammys and everybody sets out to hate it before they've even started watching it. So I, I genuinely believe it's a tough old show. And so I was backstage. I wasn't doing very much that year. Like I said, I was watching. And then COVID was sat in Staples. And like everybody, you start getting texts and you think it's fake and it can't be real. And then it starts, you start realizing that it's true. And then I start realizing, well, we're sat in Staples. We're going live at 5 p.m. on LA time on the West Coast. And, and this is, this is, uh, this is, this is big. We've, we're going to be on, you know, we're on live television in the home, in the, in, in the home that Kobe built. And, and I was very aware of that responsibility. And Ken was happy to have my help with it, I think, because he was massively busy with the most impossible show on television. Harder for him that year than me this year, because of, in a way, at least I didn't have 13,000 people. Mine was a bit more contained. So I said, do you want me to, help with this and he was like yes that would be great so I sat with Alicia Keys and David Wilde and we wrote what Alicia said together um and then we went and we sort of asked boys to men if they would join us I think that was Alicia's idea and we dealt with that and then I remember going to find Lee Zeidman at, at, who runs Staples and saying look can we cover all the other shirts and just have Kobe's and then I got lighting to go and put a spotlight on it so it was very like in the weeds of how we would approach this because I, I felt a responsibility to those artists because it's because they're doing big, but Lizzo's tearing the roof off. She's like going to go and sing and dance. And, and you've got to say to them, no, no, we're going to treat this with the seriousness it deserved. It deserves because so that, you know, you can still do your thing and you can change your thing if you want, but don't, you're going to be on a show that at least reflects what's happened. And it was important that we did that. And, you know, and you're, that's where being in live television is like, it's a crazy job sometimes. And you have to make decisions very, very, very fast. Um, on those things. I, I produced the Tonys a few years ago and, and that day was that shooting and I, I'm, I'm, I feel bad. I can't remember the name of the bar, but there was a very prominent gay bar that lots of people got that died that day. And it was the Tonys that night. I mean, and again, I, you know, me and James Corden, we sat in a corner and we wrote that opening and decided how we would shoot it. And so you sometimes have those moments, but they are incredibly draining. And so I got home that night after we'd done the Grammys. And of course, like it wasn't my Grammys, but I'd been involved in the Kobe element of it. And I remember sitting there panicking about the next year. And it was partly because it had been an emotional day, like a very, very emotional day for everybody. And to have been at Staples. And then when you finally leave Staples at the end of the night to see those thousands of people laying, you know, flowers and scarves and everything else. And it was just, and just taking a walk on my own after being involved in that show. It was really just emotional. And, uh, and I don't think I ever, like, I don't, and this sounds so grandiose, but I don't think I ever, like, got over that night in a way. I, like, it got in my head producing the Grammys because I was like, I'd been, I'd been side of stage a bit, but, it had been, but I'd been involved enough to affect what was on the screen. And now I was in charge of it. 
and everyone has an opinion of it. Everybody thinks this person, you know, you saw it this year with the weekend. Everybody is angry or upset or has an agenda. And, and so unlike any other show I've ever produced, it played on my mind every day. I would wake up so often in the middle of the night at like 4, 3.30, 4.30 in the morning. And Meredith would be like, you've got to stop thinking about the Grammys. Just go back to bed. Like, you're, you're an idiot. Um, but it did. It played on my mind because I felt pressure like I haven't ever felt before. Um, because the Friends reunion, it's, it's massive. Lots of people are talking about it. But I've got it in an edit. I'm in the edit with it right now. I've got five. You know, I've got loads of time in an edit. I can tweak it. I can cut that out if it didn't work. I can put this in. I can reshoot something if it didn't work. You're live for three and a half hours and the world's watching and they're ready to judge you. And, and, and I'm disappointed in myself in a way that I got so uh, in my head about it. Um, and it was only until about two weeks before that Corden came into my office and it was so significant. He came into my office and he sat down, and he shut the door and he went, you got to stop this. He's like, if I told my 18 year old mate that he was going to be producing the Grammys on his own in 20 years time, and he was going to be like frantic and like stressed about it. He, you'd be disappointed in yourself. It's time to stop and time to enjoy it because you're producing the Grammys and it's going to be great. And I was like, I took a deep, I was like, you're right. And actually from that moment onwards, I was like, you know what? It's going to be fine. We'll be great. But it, but it, but it was a burden on my shoulders for quite some time. Um, and then COVID added just this entire element to it that I hadn't expected that like because in March you're like well it'll be fine by January it's like it's March 2020 I'm not producing the Grammys until January the 31st 2021 this will be gone in a month or two and then as it got and funnily enough in March I had the idea a year before I was like if it is still COVID which it won't be but if it is there's a show in the UK called Jules Holland where all the artists play in the round and they have five stages and they play for each other. And it's always been a show that I loved growing up. And I was like, if COVID's still going, that would actually be really cool. But I never thought I'd end up doing it. And as it got nearer and nearer, I was like, oh, wow, we're, we're going to be doing this. So I can't even remember the question you asked me. I've rambled. I'm so sorry. But probably not everyone's turned off now because it's not, you know, Blake Griffin. But um, ultimately... Uh, when we were going into this Grammys, every element of it, again, I was like, how can we make this glass half full? How can we, do you know what? Let's do the awards outside. It makes everyone feel safer and it looks so much more dramatic and we can have staples in the backdrop and we can have everyone sat outdoors on beautiful tables. And then, you know, thinking about inside, it's like, we don't need anyone. In fact, not having the audience means the camera can get up close and personal. Then I was like, well, why do we need famous people giving out these statues, giving out these Grammys? It doesn't mean anything. Let's get those venues that are shut down, the Troubadour, the like, the, the, you know, all these amazing venues from, from the Apollo in Harlem. Like how cool would it? I shot the Bruno Mars um, special in the Harlem Apollo a few years ago for CBS, and I fell in love with that venue. And there was this guy there who everyone called Mr. Apollo. He's 80 years old. He's worked there his whole life. It's like, let's get him to present, you know, best artist, to, you know, best album, whatever we got him to present. And suddenly it was like, actually, all of these elements were like, can make this show better um and so when i started doing that then i started getting excited about it then james's pep talk helped and then yeah look the reviews yeah it was it was it was amazing i woke up at like six in the morning the next morning and i i'd gone out i after the grammys i went and had some drinks with harry who had won who's a dear friend of mine as you know jay and it was his first he opened the grammys and and we've been friends for many years and he's one of the closest people to me we went out 
and had a drink to celebrate my first Grammys, his first Grammy. And it was a very like moving, emotional night. And I got into bed about three in the morning. And then because I had a lot of wine, I woke up at six and I was asleep. And I woke up and Jeff Azoff, my friend, had texted me a screen grab of the Rolling Stone says the best Grammys ever. And it's not even close. And uh, I genuinely was like that. I remember thinking that is such a shame that this is a dream because that would be so cool if that was real. But it's a bad, he- it didn't even, it doesn't even read well as a headline. So there was no part of me that thought it was reality. And I just went back to sleep. And then Ruby, my daughter at four years old, jumps on me at seven. And then I saw my phone. I was like, oh my God, I saw that during the night. And I thought it was fake. I thought it was just my brain fantasizing. And so, yeah, it sounds arrogant to talk about, but I was, I was really, I, I don't mean it in that way. I just mean it in that it was, uh, it was payoff for something that I've never worked harder on anything than I did that for a year dreaming about it thinking about it making sure that everything was perfect working out the running order that you know what awards should go where and you know even the videos about record of the year nominees I, I we work my me and my team and it wasn't just me Jesse Collins Raj Kapoor for team of Robinson Josie Cliff Hamish Hamilton Patrick Menton like our team just worked their asses off and so those reviews were really beautiful to see it you know people say it doesn't matter but it does Thanks for listening to part two of our conversation with Ben Winston. You can check in on Friday to listen to part three of Ben Winston.